0: Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast
1: to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today, I have Dr. Wesley Hickman. He is a 2005 graduate from UNC Chapel Hill, so go Tar Heels, and also the owner of Hickman Pharmacy in Leland, North Carolina. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Hickman.
0: Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate that.
1: Oh, hey, the pleasure is all mine because we're going to talk about kind of some hot button stuff today that happened in 2020 with pharmacy. One of the things that people might not know about you, but you were the person who kind of was talking with Ellen Gabler of the New York Times with the article about the working conditions in pharmacy and what you did in there to reach out to the state board and like the things that you got with a response. Can you elaborate what made you reach out like to your state board and what type of response you got given and also maybe explain a little bit of the work circumstances when you did work for CVS?
0: Yeah, so I I guess I'll start with the work conditions and kind of what led me to leave uh, my prior company and kind of how I got in contact with Ellen Gabler. But basically, it it all boiled down to it was uh, middle of December uh, 2018. I had uh, filled 500 and I think it was either 52 or 553 prescriptions. Uh, the prior day, I uh, was working another 13 hour shift, had no other overlap pharmacist that day. So it was just absolutely nuts with vaccinations and whatnot. I had worked at CVS since 97, so I-, I wasn't a slouch. I could run the system pretty well and uh, basically just said, I'm-, I'm done. I can't fill prescriptions at this rate without making a, a critical mistake. So I-, I made the decision to put you know, patients ahead of my own <laughs> uh, financial well-being and decided to open my own pharmacy so spent the next year uh doing that kind of put my story on reddit just to kind of give other pharmacists that may be going through the same uh, situation just some kind of hope that maybe they can get out and do their own thing so basically i cataloged my my journey and she followed along and touched base with me wanted to know what uh my story was and i filled her in and uh, i guess the rest is history there as far as uh, the new york Times story goes that was uh, (laughs) a A, a very interesting time. Uh, we, we did, you we brought, brought up the uh, Board of Pharmacy. One, one of the things I did actually before I, I quit was I reached out to the uh, the North Carolina Board of Pharmacy to ask what my options were as a, a pharmacist. Could I file a complaint against myself, basically, or, or what could I do right. if I wanted to uh, say, say it wasn't very safe to be filling that amount of prescriptions? And I, I didn't get any response at all, actually. It, I sent that the day before I left. So I quit the job at that point and then uh, followed up a week later with a lot more detail. um, Because at that point, I really didn't care if if they knew what the specifics of the the situation were. I I was met with an email back to call the the Board of Pharmacy office immediately. So I I did and I spoke with the the executive director there for a good while about uh, what my story was and and what I wanted to do. So that that was the start into the North Carolina Board of Pharmacy uh, situation there.
1: And what exactly came from that? Like, you know, what kind of response did you get? Like, what did they say?
0: Basically, it's, long story short, it's the executive director, very nice guy, very professional, you know, laid it out that it is not the position of the North Carolina Board of Pharmacy to intervene in intercompany disputes. And I made the argument that, you know, I don't think it's, irrational to say that it's, it's not safe to fill 500 prescriptions in a 13-hour shift where you don't have a lunch or dinner break it, you know it, it's just minimal staffing with text it just absolutely makes no sense that you know you can make that argument that technology makes that much of an advance to, to allow me to fill a prescription every minute and i think i figured it out with like 40 seconds um, oh, wow. with the phone ringing and it, all those things so it's just Again, they, they reiterated their position. So I guess at the time I was angry. I would say that response, but right. as I've kind of looked into you know what I want to do in the future, it just kind of seems to be more of the board doesn't want to take a position to have that fight, and that's something I strongly disagree with.
1: Yeah, especially since you know at least in my state here in Ohio kind of the stance they take is to help make sure it's like the safe practice of pharmacy to patients within the state is like the general breakdown of how it works. Is that kind of the same in North Carolina?
0: Exactly. That's it, There's certain phrasing in the law that it, it doesn't say a specific rate that is, you know, frowned upon, but it basically just it does give some responsibility to the permit holder to, to create an environment that is safe for the practice of pharmacy. It actually went to the North Carolina Court of Appeals back in 2004. Um, it was uh, CBS versus the, I uh, see here, North Carolina Board of Pharmacy, North Carolina Court of Appeals 02-1643, and it basically established, in my opinion, precedent that the Board of Pharmacy has the right to dictate the rules of, of the practice of pharmacy in North Carolina as to a safe working environment with relation to prescription volume if an error does occur. So that's something I looked up and something I firmly believe in and stated my case and, you know, was met with uh, the same answer I've given before. So, you know, I just accept that answer. It is what it is, but, you know, i disagree with their their interpretation i guess of their
1: power so basically you're saying that there seems to be a past precedent that hey we can regulate this you know if we do think something is unsafe we can crack down on it do you think that mm-hmm. maybe they would crack down on the pharmacist in this case or like you said you kind of be reporting on yourself or it be a crackdown on the chain like where would this come in because i know that's a huge thing for pharmacists you know if you're trying to share your experiences with things like this you're always worried like you know am i gonna get myself in trouble here when really i'm not the one who the, didn't set the budget it was given to me this is all i have to work with and i'll get punished if i don't follow it
0: exactly you're you're in a rock and a hard place situation so that i got two you know, stories there to kind of shed light on that at least in my experience the first one actually came about two or three weeks after i quit a, a patient that i had developed a personal relationship with they had my cell phone number and whatnot, not we could text back and forth they needed things when i I wasn't there just you know as as you do with with retail pharmacy, you develop friendships over time so anyway uh the mom reached out to me and was wondering uh why her daughter got uh, blood pressure pills for her allergy medication and i was like what are you talking about one i don't work there anymore but you know that's what i was fearful of whenever i left the the company yeah so long story short um i told the mom what her options were she could go to cvs and make a complaint you know at least as a manager they'll investigate look into it and probably send you a 25 dollar gift card but if you want to you know have an actual investigation done where something could be done about it that's your your avenue is the north carolina board of pharmacy but you know i'm like you make that decision i don't want to know about it anything you know beyond that i want to stay out of it but yeah you know those are really your two options so at that point the mother did file a complaint read the board of pharmacy report afterwards but have friends that still work there and still have relationships inside of there so i, I did hear some of the, the grumblings about that but the the whole situation i guess boiled down to where the board of pharmacy ruled that the pharmacist and the technician were responsible for that mistake rather than the, the conditions of the pharmacy even though the investigator did look at that number specifically i was told uh, the, the prescription volume that day so my, my worst kind of fear that i, I alerted them to. Weeks before actually happened and and that's I think the thing that really frustrates me the most is that you know that could have been damaging to that young lady and I told them before it happened that it was going to happen and nobody listened and and that's just (laughs) yeah yeah like what what do you do there you know it's just so frustrating to have those situations occur in real life and, and what do you do
1: Yeah. And it's not like you have to be Nostradamus to see that that's going to happen. Like this isn't like, you know, predicting some huge national tragedy. This is just seeing things happen time and time again and knowing it's eventually going to happen. And I've, you know, knock on wood, have not had anything major like that happen that I know of currently where I work or anything like that. But I have had a lot of close calls where it got caught either at the register or it got caught where you know, uh, tech sent me down something and I double checked it and I was like, Oh, whoa, wait a minute. That's not right. You know, like something along those lines. But when you're so overwhelmed or in the case, it sounds like where you were so short staffed as well, as well, you know, you're typing the prescription, you're filling the prescription, you're taking every step of it out. And it really becomes hard to double check yourself for safety on top of other everything else. Because like you said, the technology is only as, as good as you make it. And many times some people are even working around the technology when it comes to somebody's high volume stores to try and just kind of, you know, get to the end of the day. Unfortunately, that is where, you know, they are responsible, but at the same time as they were also set up to, to fail or, you know, not take care of the patient in this case. Is that kind of what your, your argument was here?
0: Yeah, exactly. That's just, it seems like the, the worry is more on basically how many prescriptions you can fill a day, how many outreach calls you can make, which, you know, now as an independent pharmacy owner, you kind of see everything tied to the star scores and, reimbursements on you know medicare part d plans, so you start to see the why behind a lot of these programs and, and you know some of these are you know to the benefit of the patient i, I really do think some of their ideas are very ingenious and, and can be leveraged into to actually making a difference but whenever your focus is just on manipulating a metric which you right. know any fool can do can put in a com- override code or put in the things to, to circumvent the, the checks on the system and, and that's what you get graded on. It just became a, a rat race that I just didn't want to participate in.
1: Yeah, and you know, you had a four-letter word there that I think every pharmacist has heard in the past couple of years, unless maybe they work at an independent pharmacy like you own, is uh, the metrics. So many times, like, you know, the people, the higher-ups are coming in, and the only thing they care about are getting the low-performing metrics up. You're not even going to get praise sometimes for the the really good metrics. Now, sometimes you do, obviously. Like, you know, there are pharmacists out there winning awards and stuff like that. But a lot of times, those metrics are what drive it to the point where people just start cheating them. And I know I've seen that across any number of chains where people just go, you know what? I just click this because it keeps them off my back. Which, as you said, it's tied to stars, it's tied to this, it's tied to that, it's tied to reimbursement models. Do you see that as a huge problem with some of the some of the ways that like a CVS is currently run?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because what happens if you have a you know patient that gets a Crestor prescription and it's a ten milligram? They get Muscle cramps with it, and the doctor says, "Okay, let's back it down to maybe you know three times a week. You know, see if the side effects decide, see if you know the their uh, liver functions are great, see if their LDL is low. You know, if all those things are happening and they're taking it three times a week, no big deal. But we might get dinged on a report, but we're still doing the, the right thing clinically if if we don't refill that prescription again or it doesn't. If, if the doctor just changed it without us getting a different order, so that, that to me just sounds." arbitrary and silly. It really should be basically you get a pass-through model of, of prescription reimbursement where you get X amount of dollars for the prescription that you fill and it's just uniform across the whole system. But again, that's a, an argument for a different day and a lot of soapbox talk right there, I would say.
1: Yeah, you're talking like provider status to go in there and clinically change the prescription and stuff like that which is has exactly. been discussed. But yeah, I get what you're saying there. Just to be clear, too, I think this is a key point. It's not like you were an underperformer at CVS, right? You had, you had mentioned it kind of leading up to this, you'd won some, uh, you'd been recognized by them a little bit. Can you elaborate kind of how you were recognized by them?
0: Yeah, of course. Well, I, I received the Paragon Award. It was at the district level one, went to Washington, D.C., and they did the whole get you hyped about uh, the programs that were rolling out over the next you know few months of the year. So that, that was pretty cool. I really enjoyed that uh, process and that honor that was neat. But I also was an emerging leader for the district manager position for about a year and a half, went to socket and did the whole, I guess, the district manager training there, got the laptop and you know, started trying to follow my mini district and all those things. And, and the more I, I saw that side of the practice, the more I just realized that was not where I wanted to go because it's really not patient care at that point. It's just managing Excel spreadsheets and accountability metrics and things like that. So it just really got away from where my heart was in my practice, I would say.
1: Okay, gotcha. That's interesting because I know a lot of people uh, who've tried to climb the corporate ladder and you know that's always their goal no matter what. And I mean, obviously there needs to be someone there it just—it sounds like you know. Obviously, you had more of a heart and actually truly reaching out and taking care of people, which is <laughs> thank you. Which is which is why you really wanted to go open your own and why you did so after after leaving CVS. So I think that's uh, something that everyone can relate to as a pharmacist.
0: <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that.
1: So, kind of following up there, since all this happened, and obviously you opened your own pharmacy, what have you personally mm-hmm. done to try and like work and fix some of these issues, if you will?
0: Well, it, now that I can actually see reimbursement models, how the pharmacies are paid, because when you're a retail pharmacist, you really don't see that side of things. Yeah. You know, it, it kind of ties into how you operate a business and, and what the, the different reimbursement models, contracts, Medicare Part D, all these things that work together that you're really blind to. So what have I done, I guess, in that aspect, tried to lobby for, you know, Pharmacy benefit manager reform. Trying to talk to the local senators here, trying to get them to establish laws uh, that would be very similar to Arkansas, um, what they're doing there. I'm starting to try to do that. That's number one. For two, one of the things I'm doing now is actually running for the North Carolina Board of Pharmacy. So I really want to, you know, be the voice on a Board of Pharmacy here that can, you know, say that there is some onus on the the pharmacy permit holder to. You have a safe environment for prescriptions to be dispensed to the citizens of the state so i, I think if the current board's position is is that it's not their position to to take that stand i want to be a, a vote to say that we will take that stand that we will take a you know, past precedent in law and use it to, to to rein in those bad practices so that that's some of the things i'm, I'm trying to do now as as an owner and, and hopefully as a, a board of pharmacy member in the next few months
1: and I think the one interesting thing is too, is even though you do own your own pharmacy, you are an independent pharmacy, you have years of experience working on the other side for the, the big corporate guy, if you will, which is what I think a lot of pharmacists, <laughs> a lot of pharmacists would appreciate because they always mentioned that they feel underrepresented at their boards many, many times. What's the process for running for a board like that in North Carolina? I'm just curious because like, I've known a few people who sit on boards, but every process seems a little different. So what's it like down there?
0: So for the North Carolina Board of Pharmacy, is elections open up with uh, license renewal on November 1st. And the uh, voting period runs from November 1st to, I believe, March 1st. Uh, that's the, uh, the, the the end of the straggler period. The, uh, people that need to renew their license, so they tally up the vote at that point. And there, there's a few different rules. If uh, you know a certain number of people vote or whatnot, you may have a runoff, which we had this last uh, opening uh, the last year. But it's a five year period. It's uh, five elected members. Uh, they're all the voters are the uh, licensed pharmacists in North Carolina. And we have one at large member that is appointed by the governor. And basically, they're in the board of directors for the uh, operation of pharmacy in the state of North Carolina.
1: That's a really interesting way of doing it. I like that because it lets pharmacists really have a voice in their own, the practice of pharmacy in their state. So. For anybody who's listening to North Carolina, if you think there's something wrong or you agree with what, what Wesley says here, hey, you know, here's your here's a plug for him that I have no problem shamelessly throwing Thank out there you. for him just because I do agree with what he's saying on this. And kind of what he's done with the Ellen Gable thing really did change the eyeballs that are looking on our profession. Now, with COVID, we've saw seen more staffing cuts at chains, so that's a whole nother level to get to that you didn't experience, but it just shows how how thin we're having to run in so many of these retail pharmacy locations. What else do you think like what, what else are your kind of thoughts kind of like wrapping this up a little bit as far as like the whole, what what can be done to fix some of these staffing issues at the, some of the larger chains?
0: One of the things that I would like to do if, if I was elected to the um, North Carolina board of pharmacy would be to lobby the general assembly to change the law that'll, to allow the board of pharmacy to allow financial penalties to pharmacies that are in, I guess, chronic violation of, of staffing uh, issue, where there are documented uh, mistakes, misfills that the patients do bring to our attention. That's, you know, one thing I would like to see. I'd like to see some kind of mandatory misfill reporting to the board of pharmacy so they can really get a true picture of how many errors are, are going out to the patient on a regular basis. How many times there's a serious errors, you know, because it seems that you know the board of pharmacy is really only going to see an issue uh, when it's really, really bad, when they feel bad enough to call but I, I'd like to see you know, some honest reporting from the change that they're required to do and independents as well, anybody that, that you know, practices pharmacy to see what their error rate is to see if there's uh, anything we can do to improve our practice or if there's anything we're doing currently that is making it worse. We, we can see those real-time data points and, and make informed decisions. So that's one thing I would do i guess the other thing i, I see coming in the pipeline that really scares me is uh the virtual verification i'm leery of having somebody you know, on the other end of a an icon checking prescriptions. I, I just i understand if we get expanded into doing more provider statuses and provider work then that would be different um but I, i'm just I am leery of uh the, the future of pharmacy and then how that could affect like, reimbursement rates basically you're just uh, checking prescriptions from a, a tele location but i guess that would be uh, the, the biggest high points. i would say i would want to hit and change
1: gotcha yeah and you know I th- i've seen a lot of people who are very much in favor of that virtual uh checking and i'm not saying it doesn't have a place um maybe in some of the larger chains to some extent but i also have seen a lot of errors come from things like that or things that are overlooked when it comes to comes to that or things that are missed when you, you talk to a patient and then they got remotely done and gonna have to go back and redo some of the work to add something or make it right based upon knowledge you have and interacting with them and things like that so that's a that's an interesting point you can, brought up there. Can, we, can we fix
0: e-scripts before we fix you know a, a remote verification if you can fix e-scripts then come to us and talk then, then <laughs> we'll have that conversation but until that happens let, let's pump the brakes a little bit
1: oh e-scripts they are they're great and they're bad all at the same time it's it's a catch-22 Absolutely. with some of those um thank you for sharing everything i really appreciate it i it's kind of an honor to have you on here because i know that ellen gabriel article just (laughs) rocked the friggin' pharmacy world and we're seeing the repercussions of that and we're even seeing the apha president scott Kanoa really talking about that highlighting that repeatedly when it comes to some of these pbm issues so it's something he can point to legislators and say here's a problem that we need to fix so thanks for your diligence and hey you know what it might have been just a random reddit post but Man, it was one hell of a Reddit post. And if you guys want to go look it up.
0: (laughs) Thank you guys very much. I appreciate that. And I appreciate being able to have a voice uh, for the profession, hopefully, and, and make some good positive changes.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But I can't let you go without asking the questions I ask everyone who comes on here. If you could change anything about pharmacy, any one thing, pharmacy, magic wand, not necessarily legal, what would it be?
0: I would want to have more responsibility in the the clinical pipeline. I, I want to be able to leverage the, the four years of school that I have under my belt to do more than just uh, insurance rebills. to be able to actually sit down and check blood pressure and uh, check blood sugar and monitor that. And I really think that would be you know, rewarding and, and a really positive uh, thing for it, not only our profession, our, our patients ultimately, which is what the end goal should be. So I, I would say that.
1: Yeah, I'm a huge fan of that being more considered part of the healthcare team because I've made so many little interactions and even those little reminders about diet and stuff like that. If you're checking someone's blood pressure or about their blood sugar and what they need to eat, you know, when you're checking their blood sugar, stuff like that really goes a long way with that just simple nudge theory of just kind of pushing them in the right direction, if you will.
0: How many AFIP cases have you called? You know, just by checking someone's blood pressure and just being able to hear that that love dog, love dog, love dog. You know, oh wait a second. Let let's go over. Do you know you might have a heart arrhythmia? And you know, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, well let's uh, make sure we get you to the doctor's office. It's just those little things that make the most interaction, and I think that was the thing that that made me so scared is that I wasn't going to be able to do that in, in, in the future if I if I continued down the path I was on previously, and and that's the thing that really drives you at the end of the day. You know, whenever you fill 500 prescriptions, and you're scared to death that you killed somebody, but. You know, maybe you made that one difference with that one patient and that's what makes it all worth it at, at the end of the day you say so yeah. at least that's what I told myself at the time
1: <laughs> no no i get it yeah if you make if, if every pharmacist can make impact on one person's life a day that's you know millions of lives in the course of a year easily impacted so that's a that's a good point to bring up there if you could change any any law about pharmacy what would it be and why
0: i would have to say i, I really did leaving cannabis reform i, I think that uh, that needs to be looked at as, as medicine uh and and utilized as such um i can give an example of my my stepmother uh she passed away of cancer at the age of 43 hmm. um from esophageal cancer and she got to the point where she she couldn't eat um, and she would try if she wanted to but it just waste away because eventually the tumor got so large that there was nothing they could do so she utilized that as medicine and not unfortunately that that's illegal but she did it anyway and was able to to have some form of palliative care there so that's one thing I, I, I have seen utilized as medicine I, I do believe that you know people shouldn't be going to jail for for that and we need to really look at that uh, in the upcoming election and, and hold our leaders accountable to to remove the stigma with that and certainly view it as the medicine that it is
1: yeah, that's, that that's not where I thought you were going to go with that question at all but I think that you know I'm sorry to hear for your loss. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear for your loss, but I totally agree with you on that too. That's a that's a very pressing story over a very sensitive topic that hits on just every aspect of our society. So
0: Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's uh sorry, I didn't mean to get uh, deep on that, but it is, you know, something that whenever you see a, a bright, vibrant woman go from, you know, what you know she was to basically a skeleton because you can't hold down her food, that's You know, it it changes your perspective on a lot of things. At that point, you just want to give them anything that makes their their life worth living. And and unfortunately, my my little sister was there. She was 11. So she kind of had to watch that whole struggle there. And it's it's something that stuck with me that, that we need to view end of life care a lot differently than I think we do now.
1: Yeah, and I always thought pharmacists could play a huge role in that too, with helping like knowing what works best. That you know the contents, the contents of it, the potency, things like that. The the vehicle, whether it's food, smoking, what have you, could make a huge difference for yeah, somebody too, like that. Um, last question, I'm gonna chalk this up as a bonus one because since it just happened, Rutledge versus PCMA. Which way do you think it's going, and what made you think that? Since you said you listened to it.
0: The, uh, the uh, Chief Justice, uh, Justice Roberts, made a good point about the Byzantine uh, pricing structure that, that the PBMs are currently <laughs> creating between every yeah. single state. So if, if they're able to manage that, then they're able to manage a little more than, than what they're saying that they're not able to do. So that's uh, one thing I, I would take from it. It feels like it's going on partisan lines, unfortunately, uh, with RBG passing away. You know, it's sad for so many different reasons, especially with the of pharmacy, where it impacts us right now. Is you know, I feel like she would have been a vote, uh, you know, against the, the larger corporations there. So that I hate to have that. So right now, I'm afraid of a four-four four split, unfortunately, but I am hopeful that somebody sees the light and swings over to uh, the, the side of right. It seems with uh, with Arkansas.
1: I, and I could be wrong on this, but if it's a four-four split, I believe it upholds the lower court's ruling, which would be in favor of Arkansas. I could be wrong on that. I'm not a lawyer, but I think that is how it would go. And I, you know, I heard that line, and when I heard that line, I was like jackpot. That's a line that you can stick to on this one, especially because the argument yeah. they, they tried to make was that you know different states are gonna have different rules, and that's too much to try and follow. I'm like, the states already have different rules, and you know, states have different driving rules, but yeah. we all have to follow them.
0: I think it just boils down to the principle of, you know, is a contract signed in good faith if you're going to reimburse me lower than the cost I purchased the medication at? Yeah. I mean, it, regardless of ERISA law, if, if you're raking in billions upon billions upon billions of dollars that you're just jumping into, you know, the healthcare insurance industry now, you know, don't give me this, you know, oh, for me, you know, discussion. <laughs> I, I don't want to hear that. You know, yeah. if you're, you're $67 billion in debt that you just purchased, you know, Aetna, oh, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm really going to cry a river every year any kind of potential lost revenue that you have that just reimburses a pharmacy fairly. But that's all.
1: Yeah, uh, never mind. I'm not going to feel sorry for someone. You know, there's someone like you who's probably sponsoring Little League teams or doing things like that or, you know, like you said, yeah. just trying to stay afloat to help put food in your kid's table versus Larry Merlo sitting in the corner because his wall is so thick he has to lean sideways because it's too big. So, I mean, hey, it's, you know, <laughs> it is what it but- is with that. <laughs>
0: And as a disclaimer, I am not referring to any uh, specific uh, plan, insurance reimbursement plan, uh, general practice of pharmacy benefit managers as a whole. So I w- want to make that perfectly clear yep. that I do not lose any contract issues there.
1: No, no, any no. Contract problems. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: yeah, no worries.
1: But yeah, so hey, uh, where else can people find you on social media or what have you if they want to reach out?
0: The biggest uh, place to reach out to me is probably on Facebook. You can look um, for Hickman's Pharmacy uh, It's in Leland, North Carolina. Um, there is one apparently in West Virginia as well, so shout out to them if you look it up and uh, <laughs> find those folks. I'm sure they are they're wonderful, great people, but I, I am the one in North Carolina. so that, that would be the best way I would say to reach out to me is, is through that uh, form of media.
1: Okay, great. And listeners, if you can, always can, please share this. I think that he's got a great message here to get out. And especially if you're friends in North Carolina who are pharmacists, because I think uh, Wesley would make an awesome addition here to the uh, Board of Pharmacy. So with that, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.